Let us begin our Pentecost sermon with prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, God and Lord, we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon that we may better understand your work and pour out the rivers of living water mentioned in our text. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the Apostle John as recorded in chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and called out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from deep within the person who believes in me. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet come, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, right there at the end of verse 39, we're told, For the Holy Spirit had not yet come, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Wasn't the Holy Spirit there? What does that mean? How is the Holy Spirit not yet present? And so today we're going to ask the question, how wasn't the Holy Spirit present? We're going to go through the ways he was present as we answer that question. But before we jump into answering that question, I want to point out something uh, in verse 38. My own literal translation of that is, the one who continues placing his faith into me, just as the scripture has said, out of his belly rivers of continuously living water will flow. Now, you notice in our lesson in Acts chapter 2, where Joel is quoted, you could type that into a search engine with Bible software, and it would bring up the prophet Joel. But if you type what Jesus says in verse 38 into a computer Bible software search engine, you won't find a verse that says that. Oh, you'll find lots of verses in Isaiah about the fire of the Holy Spirit and streams of living water. See, what Jesus is doing there is taking something that is taught throughout the Old Testament, not just by the prophet Isaiah, but by a lot of the prophets. And he's basically presenting the doctrine or the content of what's being spoken. And I want to point that out to you because lots of times we get nervous when we have an opportunity to witness to our neighbor or comfort a neighbor and we think, I got to know the exact Bible passage, the, the, give the right chapter and the verse and, and, the, and the exact wording. No. Give the concept. Jesus did it too. The Holy Spirit works through that as well. So with that out of the way, we're going to ask the question, how wasn't the Holy Spirit present? And we got to go right away to ask, did the Holy Spirit even exist yet? And to answer that question, we need to go no further than the first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whoa, hit the brakes, because if you look at the original Hebrew, the name for God is plural. We call it the majestic plural, gods. But the verb is singular. He singular created. We already have a hint of the Trinity, but verse 2 solves all the problems because verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1 says, The earth was undeveloped and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Holy Spirit already existed. He existed before Jesus uh, said, let there be light as the Trinity was making creation. So he was part of that creating creation and existed before then. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit certainly did his job of giving faith and seemed a little less common than on Pentecost Sunday, but he also gave uh, spiritual gifts. So, for example, uh, when David commits adultery, then commits murder to cover up his adultery, and then God sends the prophet Nathan to him, 
Afterwards, in repentance, he writes Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, verse 11, David says, Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. If David were cast from God's presence, he would obviously, the Holy Spirit would withdraw from his heart and David would be an unbeliever. He would be condemned. And of course, as king, when he was anointed, the Holy Spirit gave him gifts that not everybody in Israel had. Spiritual gifts to rule over Israel. And obviously, one of the gifts he was given was to be able to write so many of the hymns, and that's what they were, that were the Psalms. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that. So how wasn't the Holy Spirit present? We see he certainly existed as a person of the Trinity, and we see in the Old Testament he created faith in people's hearts, and he gave spiritual gifts to serve the Lord. And if we look at Isaiah, uh, Isaiah often prophesies about the coming of the Savior. And, and one of those is Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3, where the pre-incarnate Christ, actually speaking through the prophet Isaiah, says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a cloak of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display his beauty. Now, the Hebrew word for anointed, when we transliterate it into English, is the word Messiah. We see that the Messiah would be anointed with the Holy Spirit to perform these tasks. This is one of the ways we know Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, because in Matthew chapter 3, right after his baptism, we're told in verses 16 through 17, after Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up out of the water. Suddenly the heavens were opened for him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing on him. And a voice out of the heavens said, This is my Son whom I love. I'm well pleased with him. The Holy Spirit existed already. The Holy Spirit had already uh, worked to knit the body of Christ in the virgin's womb. And when Jesus is baptized, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. You see, he's not using all the powers of his deity, of his godhood. We call it his state of humiliation. If he had not hidden some of his godhood, he would have destroyed the virgin in her womb because he's righteous and she rejoiced to have a savior, meaning she too was a sinner. He would have destroyed the apostles. He would have been like a nuclear bomb going off. Think about how Isaiah, when he's brought to heaven, uh, when he says, when he cries out, when he's before the Lord, the throne of the Lord, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among sinners. So Jesus isn't using all the powers of his deity. And the Holy Spirit is given to him to guide him. And in fact, right after his baptism, uh, Luke in chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And of course, this is where he then, for 40 days and 40 nights, fasts and the devil comes to him with some of his strongest uh, temptations, temptations you and I could never stand up to. So the Holy Spirit is guiding Jesus, that he's at these places where God wants him to be. And just an example out of that, as Luke begins the Acts of the Apostles, and, and he gets pretty quickly to the ascension of our Lord, but in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Luke says, I wrote my first book, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began doing and teaching until the day he was taken up, 
after he'd given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. See, when Jesus teaches, even though he's God, he's holding back his deity, but the Holy Spirit is guiding him to where he's to be and guiding him with the things he is to say. And so, for example, when he ends up at that well in Samaria and the Samaritan woman, who's, she's shacking up with the fifth man she's been with, and Jesus tells her, give me something to drink. And you see, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have water. You wouldn't, and she said, sir, give me that water so I don't have to keep coming this well. But he's talking about the same water he's talking about in our sermon text today. It's no coincidence that he happens to be there for a woman whose heart is ready to hear the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. The Spirit had led him there. Or, for example, that in Nain, he just happens to come into town as that funeral procession is coming out to bury that young man whose his father had already died, and now he's died. She has no retirement account. Bad enough to lose your husband and your only son. You think it was a coincidence? The Holy Spirit had guided him. It just over and over again. So we see that the Holy Spirit was, uh, was certainly existed as the person of the Trinity, that he was there in the Old Testament creating faith and giving spiritual gifts. We see he certainly is present with Christ. Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is guiding him. We've got to cover one more thing. Does that mean the Holy Spirit just ceased to operate in the New Testament? He was just busy guiding Christ around and that kept him too busy? Well, I always say there's two standout, very important conversations in history. Arguably the first and most important conversation God has in history is after Adam and Eve falls into sin and the pre-incarnate Christ tells them that he's going to crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3, verse 15. And when Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, uh, meets with Jesus in secret because he doesn't want to uh, jeopardize his position in the Sanhedrin, we know Nicodemus becomes a believer I don't think Nicodemus knew that night he was going to have one of the most important conversations in human history. And of course, now we hold up John 3.16 at games, at football games and everything. But John 3.16 isn't the end of that conversation, but it's the summary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But how do we come to that faith? Jesus got right to that in the early part of his conversation with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, we're told, Jesus replied, Amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's stop there for a minute. The kingdom of God is the invisible church. It's his rule in people's heart. It's his bride of which you and I are members. So unless we're born from above... A lot of people think they give birth to themselves when you have people say, are you a born-again Christian? What they really mean is, did you make a decision for Christ? That's not what Jesus teaches at all. He says, God's got to give birth to you. Well, that was confusing to Nicodemus. So in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, amen, amen, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whoever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised when I tell you that you must be born from above. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. So a person could not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, unless the Holy Spirit came through that message and gave birth to a new person. Otherwise, we just have that sinful nature who's a slave to the devil, which means we're heading straight to hell. 
So if the apostles, which they did, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy Spirit was living in their hearts. They had a new person. The Holy Spirit created faith. And I know that what Paul writes to the Corinthians is wrote years after Jesus ascended. But in 1 Corinthians 6, the first half of verse 19, he's dealing with problems that the Corinthians as a congregation are having. He says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God? So faith is the Holy Spirit entering your heart, giving birth to that new person, and he stays in that heart. And through that new person, you are connected to Christ, and you believe Jesus is the Christ. So how wasn't the Holy Spirit present? He certainly existed as a person in the Trinity from all eternity. He certainly created faith and gave spiritual gifts in the Old Testament. He certainly was present with Christ, and he certainly had created faith in the believers' hearts, including the apostles'. So now we're finally ready to answer what was missing, that he wasn't present. And for an example, in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12, well before Jesus is crucified, he says, I tell you, whoever confesses me before other people, the Son of Man will also confess him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me in the presence of other people will be denied in the presence of the angels and of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. To blasphemy the Holy Spirit, that'd be to drive him out of your heart, to deny his work. And I think one of the greatest examples of that is the Sanhedrin. As Nicodemus told Jesus in John chapter 3, we know that you are from God, because no one could do the miracles you're doing unless they were from God. And yet three years later, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb, most of the Sanhedrin says, we've got to kill this guy, or people are going to start following him, and we're going to lose our positions. They knew he was from God. They knew they were acting against God. That's quite a way to act against the Holy Spirit if he was even in their hearts. They certainly weren't believers, were they, to be able to do that? But he says when you're hauled before synagogues and rulers. See, at that point, the disciples weren't having to worry about persecution. Jesus was there. In fact, on the night that he's arrested, he says, I'm who you're looking for. You let these men go. They were kept safe by Christ. But later they would be persecuted, but God was going to use it as a witness. And he's saying, you will need the Holy Spirit. I've seen this in my own life, even not under persecution, where somebody talks to me about, it comes to me, they need to talk to me, even before I was a pastor, and you walk away from that conversation, or I do, and go, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that, why didn't I think of this Bible passage? And you bump into that person sometimes, years later. Boy, I don't know how you knew exactly what to say that day. That wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. I walked away saying, boy, I botched that. I'm glad to hear God salvaged it. The Holy Spirit works that way. And, and the disciples, they didn't need him yet that way because Jesus was there. Jesus was instructing them. And in John chapter 14, verse 26, the very night he's betrayed, the night he institutes the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. Wow, a lot is said there. The word used for counselor, parakaleo, means one called to your side to help. He was already in their heart as believers. But remember, Jesus had been telling them for a couple of months before he goes to Jerusalem. He says, 
uh, Son of Man's going to Jerusalem basically to die for your sins. He'll be handed over and arrested and crucified. And on the third day, he'll rise again. Don't forget afterwards to meet with me in Galilee. And, you know, the night he gets arrested, when he gets crucified, it comes as a shock to all of them. And he told it to them over and over again. It's a comfort for us to hear he would send the Holy Spirit who didn't need to do it then because Jesus was there to say it over and over again. But he would remind them. That's why it's important for you and I to understand that because he would remind people like John, like Matthew, what they had heard Jesus say and he would inspire them to write it down so we can be confident what the Bible says is exactly what was spoken and what we need to know for our salvation. As I said, uh, Luke in Acts chapter 1 goes into the ascension, but in verses 4 through 8 of that, Luke says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, uh, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father promised, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they were together with him, they asked, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that really answers our question. They're already believers. The Holy Spirit lives in their heart. But he's going to come and give them power. Power to remind them what Jesus had said. Power to remind them when they are looking death and torture in the eyes. To boldly say, Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who wins salvation for us. So understanding how he's absent is with that power to give them the ability to testify about Christ in those words that would be spoken. So let's look at our text again, my own translation. Uh, Now, on the last day, that's the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, that is the great day of that feast, Jesus positioned himself and he called out saying, if someone is thirsty, then he is to come to me and he is to drink. The one that continues placing his faith into me, just as the scripture has said, out of his belly, rivers of continuously living waters will flow. Now he spoke this concerning the spirit whom those that placed their faith in Jesus were about to be receiving. For the spirit was not yet present because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When Jesus ascended 10 days later, big deal, Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came and gave that gift. And on that day, boy, did they powerfully testify, didn't they? And the apostles, as I said, many of them were reminded by the Holy Spirit. Well, they all were, but then they were inspired to write that word. And we see that river, living water, flowing water coming out. They got to drink deeply of the well of forgiveness and salvation and love. And it poured out of them. And we have the inspired scriptures. And the word spread from Jerusalem to Antioch. And we think that the apostle Paul actually made it all the way to Spain. And here we are in Wyoming (laughs) now today. And God uses you that way. Now, there are certain times God gave gifts, like on Pentecost Sunday, to speak in tongues, if you will, that the people could understand it in their own language. But think about how you come to the Word. I have to admit, most of the time I come to the Word for selfish reasons. I come because I want to hear I'm forgiven. I'm a rotten sinner. And I get to hear it. And you come to study that word and to be assured. And over and over again, we need to hear that, yes, God did all the work to save us, but it doesn't end there, does it? It pours out of you after you have drank from that well and it has satisfied your thirst. Your neighbor comes to you and maybe they're a Christian. I'm having a hard time. 
Like our brother Dave, who just found out the cancer has spread up into his spine. Guess who the Holy Spirit is going to use to comfort Dave? You and me. That's those living waters pouring out of you. And think about your unbelieving neighbor. God uses you. And, and sometimes it takes years. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus told Nicodemus, he's like the wind. Nobody knows where he's blowing. But it, it's surprised me in my life to find somebody I worked on years ago. Somebody else had planted the seed. And God used me to water it. And he used someone like you to water it. And eventually, the Holy Spirit entered in and, and gave birth to a faith. And you and I were sharing our faith. It was pouring out of us like living waters. Sometimes Christians get concerned about their spiritual gifts. And when I have people say, Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, it tends to be one of two people. The first kind is somebody, they're content to show up to church, maybe occasionally, plop down in the pew and beat it out of there. They're not going to stick around for Bible study or anything like that. And, and those people, when they say, I want to know what my spiritual gifts are, they don't know because they're not serving the Lord, are they? So there's a selfishness with them. They want to know what their spiritual gifts are because they want to have something to brag about. In fact, we see that in Christianity still today when people focus on certain gifts. I already mentioned it doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit is using the gift of tongues so much anymore because the Bible's been translated in most languages. But there are Christians who will say, unless you can speak in tongues, namyo, rikikyo, varuka, balagai, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Who are they really focusing on glorifying themselves? But... When we are serving the Lord and that living water is pouring out of us, think of the spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit even gives us. So that takes us to the second kind of person who often says, Pastor, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. And those people, I say, you've got to be kidding me. When you're absent from church on Sunday, the whole congregation knows you're gone. And an example I used was a man you've heard me talk about before when I was a member at Good Shepherd in Cheyenne. His name was Stephen. He was mentally handicapped. He was, it was, he was so mentally handicapped he couldn't speak clearly. I remember like one Sunday, my card broke down as I traveled from Laramie to Cheyenne. Laramie Church didn't exist yet. And my card broke down, managed to get it running. I get to church. Boy, I was already off to a bad day, hands caked in grease and everything else. I walk in. Stephen had an amazing spiritual gift that I always rejoiced in. You walk through that door, that man let you know that God loved you. He just shone, it just poured out of him. I started out with a bad day, but before I got past Stephen to go to the bathroom to wash my hands, I was having a great day. The Holy Spirit pours out of us and he gives us those spiritual gifts. And lots of times, I'll bet you Stephen never knew how much love he showed to the congregation. And when we're using those spiritual gifts, we often don't either. And lots of times we're surprised, like I said, when we have had the opportunity to witness and we walk away going, ah, why couldn't I remember this Bible passage? Why didn't I say this? Why didn't I say Because the Holy Spirit was working and he knew exactly what we needed to say, even when we didn't. But that's the joy of knowing Jesus is our Savior. That Holy Spirit has not only created faith, when it's needed, he gives us the spiritual gifts that we share that faith. So we've asked the question, how wasn't the Holy Spirit present? And we see he certainly existed as a person of the Trinity. He certainly created faith and gave spiritual gifts in the Old Testament. He certainly was present with Christ. He certainly had created faith in the believers' hearts, the apostles' hearts that were there. But he had not brought his gifts that glorified Christ yet. Once Christ ascended, he came and did that with quite a big way, right? So sometimes a little church like us here, Lord of Lords meeting in Buffalo, we may think, oh, we don't have all the gifts we need. No, God has given us the Holy Spirit, and when we need those gifts, they'll pour right out of us as we gather around his word and share his word. Amen.
And now God, by his counsel's guide, upholds you and with his sheep securely folds you. Amen.